You're listening to 88.9 WDBM Impact Sports. This is Horsepower. I'm your host, Kenny Billis. Alongside me is Colin Jackson. Colin, how's your summer off to? How has it been pretty good? Cameron, it's been pretty good. How have you been doing? I've been really busy, you know, doing stuff back in my local hometown. But the NBA never sleeps. And, you know, the season recently ended with the Spurs beating the Heat in the NBA Finals in five games. Uh... Quite handily, all of their victories came by at least 15 points or more, so that was definitely interesting to watch, mm-hmm. um, considering their series last year in the NBA Finals was a Game 7 thriller that was constantly back and forth. <laughs> exactly. kind of reminded me of like Michael Jordan when he finally figured out like how to beat the Pistons when he came back bigger and stronger mm-hmm. back in the day. That's what that reminded me of. Only the Spurs were originally like the bad guys, and then the new bad guys came in, and then Spurs just like, nope, our town. Yeah, that's a really interesting comparison, especially since, I don't know if you watched the Detroit uh, Bad Boys 30 for 30, but a lot of what that documentary talked about was how the Pistons struggled to beat the Celtics, and then finally, after a few years, they overcame that. But by losing to them year after year, they got stronger and stronger, and then that happened with them and the Bulls, where the Bulls Mm -hmm. couldn't beat the Pistons, as you mentioned, and that became stronger and stronger. The Spurs are one of the most, franchises in the NBA, especially over the past 15 years, uh, and I mean, they always find a way to be elite, and they're always talked about in the NBA Finals. It seems like Tim Duncan was old back when he played the Pistons in the NBA Championship in 2005, and yet he somehow manages to be a force and is arguably the greatest power forward of all time. But we'll get back to the Spurs in the NBA Finals in a little bit. This is the Pistons podcast, so we have to talk about them. Oh, yeah. uh, the NBA draft is coming up on Thursday, Thursday night, and the Pistons lost their first round pick to the new Charlotte Hornets. Oh, yeah. um, but they still have their second round pick. They'll be drafting 38th overall. So, you know, it's kind of harder to judge what teams are going to do in the second round of the draft. But I'll throw a couple names out there, and we'll talk about if they're a potential fit. I want to start with Glenn Robinson III, uh, the small forward out of Michigan, who, you know, a lot of people thought, especially after, not this past season, but the one before that he played with Trey Burke, that he was an automatic lottery pick. He didn't play as well his sophomore year. It doesn't seem like he's doing too well at the combine and at uh, meetings with teams. And I've seen him fall to the Pistons at 38. Do you think that's a legitimate chance that he could fall that far and if he does is he something who you you think the Pistons should keep their eye on see I do think he could fall that far just because like you said his second season wasn't as good but honestly if a U of M player is going to go I say Nick Stauskas probably over him but like I said the um just the likelihood of him falling to the second round is probably a lot less likely than uh Glenn Robinson the third but honestly though of anyone on that U of M team that really stood out to me I would say Nick Stauskas his three points got better. Like, he just made it rain. Uh, he came to the Breslin, made it rain. Um, aside from that, also, like, just Glenn Robinson's game wasn't as good, to be quite honest with you. And I feel like there's other, there's better players out there. Just looking at the list of draft prospects, I see some Michigan State players that can even fall that far, like Keith Appling. Um, the other two big draft potentials, probably uh, Gary Harrison, Adrian Payne. Those are probably going to go in the first round. But... Well, just of everyone out there, I would say there's bigger names on the list that could fall. Well, see, I'd have to disagree with you a little bit because, well, 
for one, Nick Stauskas is going to be a lottery pick. So if the Pistons are going to get him, which I think he is probably the best fit for Stan Van Gundy and maybe the entire draft. But we'll get to that in just a few minutes. Uh, you know, if Glenn Robinson III falls down to 38, I think he is a great fit for the Pistons. When Robinson came to Michigan, he was known for his athleticism and ability to, you know, get to the rack and high fly. He has a decent jump shot. What really plagues him is his effort, and sometimes he just seems like he gets away from the game. He's not really in it. But, you know, from an athleticism standpoint, he's one of the most athletic players in the draft, and would seem to be a first-round lottery pick, if he were to fall down to 38, especially when you don't have to give a second-round pick a guaranteed contract, I think he has the highest upside at that point than anyone else the Pistons could take. Now, um, I really do like what a lot of the Michigan and Michigan State players offer to the Pistons. Like I said, I really like Stauskas. Stan Van Gundy loves to use the three-ball. Stauskas is one of the top three three-point shooters in the draft, if not the best one. Gary Harris can do it on both ends of the court. Uh, you know, good shooter, great defender, and Adrian Payne could really stretch out the floor for the Pistons at that uh, stretch four, uh, power forward spot. The only problem with those three is that the Pistons would have to trade up to get him. Now, do they have the assets to do that? I'm not sure. Uh, you know, one of their bigger trade pieces is Greg Monroe, but they can't really deal him yet because he's a free agent and, you know, things have to work out with that. Can Josh Smith get them a first-round pick? I'm not sure. Can Brandon Jennings? That's not bad. sure. I would tend to doubt it on both of those. But, you know, the Pistons could look to take the angle of, you know, the Houston Rockets are trying to create cap space to sign someone like Carmelo Anthony or LeBron James. Could they take on uh, Jeremy Lin's contract from Houston and get a first-round pick with it in the late first round? And maybe someone like Adrian Payne or even Mitch McGarry could fall to him, or excuse me, fall to the Pistons in the late first round. I think that would be a great fit. See, I just I'm wary of adding another big man to the Pistons roster, just because we've seen how the three man, three big man offense didn't really play out, and the defense kind of struggled as well. Obviously, this would probably probably be implying that, like you said, the Pistons wouldn't include Josh Smith or uh, Glenn. Can't remember his name right now. Great Monroe. Uh, into the into their team next year, but at the same time, I just feel like they should go for something more like a guard. Honestly, like I feel like a Nick Stauskas or Gary Harris. If they trade up, I feel like they would be a better pick. Or if they do go to the second round, I feel like even uh, Keith Appling maybe. Well, I mean the Pistons. I think you and I would both agree on this. What they they need more than anything is a three point shooter. Mm-hmm. But when you get to the second round you tend to try and pick best player available kind of more than team need because they have a higher chance of making your roster. Now, what the Pistons could do, and the Spurs do this better than any other team in the league, is draft a European player who's really good at three-point shooting but doesn't have some of the other skills to make it in the NBA quite yet. They could stash him overseas, have him spend a few seasons there, and bring them in in a couple of years. What are your thoughts on drafting a European player? I feel like that's a good benefit. That's a good bonus. But my only concern about drafting European players is just it's a different game. 
uh, it's a little less, I'm not going to say it's less athletic. I'm going to say it's more rudimentary based. That's where the three-point shooting comes in. It's not as physical. And that's where you get big men. They're kind of soft. Like, I don't want to call out Pau Gasol right now, but uh, that's something we've seen in, a, in recent years. Just his game hasn't been as physical as it could be. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's something the Pistons need, though, a physical game. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And, you know, now with the Pistons having their own uh, D-League team, you could consider taking a European player and putting them on your D-League team. But a lot of them staying in Europe has to do with contractual stuff and, you know, something that management has to deal with. Another player who I saw on NBA.com's latest mock draft having the Pistons take was Jordan Clarkson, a point guard from Missouri. And enlisted some of his pros as good at getting to the rim, good size, and a good free throw shooter. But it said that he struggled with his perimeter shooting and needs to cut down on the turnovers. He was a transfer, I believe, from Tulsa. And this was his first year in Missouri. And, you know, I didn't love some of the things that I read about him. It didn't really make sense that the Pistons would draft a guy who's not a very good shooter. Mm-hmm. Especially when they've had so much struggling with, with shooting, honestly. That's the biggest problem. That's why Josh Smith was such a disappointment. One of the worst averages in the league. Uh, Brandon Jennings was just another huge disappointment in that aspect when we brought him in for Brandon Knight. So I feel like, I just feel like Van Gundy and Bauer are smarter than to just draft another shooter or mm-hmm. a bad shooter at least. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, some other quick draft notes. Big-time prospect Joel Embiid is out four to six months after having surgery. Uh, how far do you think he'll fall in the draft now? I don't know. I just feel like he'll still be a first-round pick. Some team's going to gamble on him. I feel like he's going well, to yeah, he'll be, I mean, he'll still be a first-round round pick. But, sure. you know, there were talks for a while that he could be number one overall. See, I, that's not happening anymore, though. I doubt that. I'm going to say I think he could fall as late as maybe, like, 15. Yeah, I, I I would agree with that. I think that, obviously, this hurts his stock. You know, no one wants to pick the next Greg Oden, which Embiid has had back problems. He's, you know, he's only spent a year in college, and he was injured for a good portion of the season. Uh, when he's on the court, he's a tremendous talent, but is he really worth that risk? I remember Jared Selinger, uh, you know, fell pretty far when he was drafted by the Boston Celtics because, on his medical report, he had some back issues. Now, it hasn't really plagued him in the NBA, and he's turned out to be a pretty decent player, but you just never know, and injuries are never something you want to deal with. Uh, some other quick things that we can discuss with the draft. Who do you think should be the number one overall pick? See, I'm going to say, I would have, if you asked me this before the NBA championship series, I would have said probably Andrew Wiggins or Jabari Parker. But after seeing Mills play in that championship series, I believe I have a newfound faith in Australian basketball, and I'm gonna say Dante Exum. Okay, that's that's definitely. I like Exum a lot. One's a stretch, but I think he could turn out to be an interesting player. But uh, for those who don't know, Patty Mills for the San Antonio Spurs, who had a tremendous series, was definitely a big factor in them winning the championship this year, who wasn't much of a factor last year, is from Australia, a uh, tremendous shooter, and Dante Exum is from Australia as well. Uh, you know, I think, I'm, I think the safest bet for the Cavaliers would be to take Jabari Parker. Everyone 
keeps saying that he's the most pro-ready. Um, you know, Wiggins probably has the highest upside, but Cleveland took Anthony Bennett last year, and he was considered one of the biggest busts in NBA draft history. So I think that they'll try and be a little bit more cautious and take someone a little bit safer. So I think mm-hmm. that Parker ends up going number one. And finally, uh, with the draft, what's your bold prediction for draft night? My bold prediction? I'm going to go ahead and say... It can be a trade. It can be you know someone going higher than they should be, someone dropping further than they should. You know what my bold prediction is? Cleveland trades away their pick, their first round pick. Okay. I don't know who they're going to trade for, but that's my bold prediction. Obviously, drafting number one hasn't done, hasn't boded well for them lately. I feel like they're going to go for a proven player versus a wild card. Not even a wild card, but just a young talent like Andrew Wiggins or Jabari Parker. Just a one and done. So that's my prediction. All right. I like that. Uh, I'm going to go out, you know. The big part of me wants to say Kevin Love's going to get traded. Uh, you know, he's been really hot in the trade rumor market. Um, I'm going to say, though, that my bold, I guess I think that it's a bold prediction, is that, uh, oh gosh, what do I want to go? I got a lot of stuff on my mind here. Okay. We'll go, uh, Adrian Payne will be a lottery pick. See, I think that's a very well. That's a very uh, high possibility right now. The list okay. I'm looking at, uh, he's looking. At, he's slated for actually twelve, just behind Gary Harris. Okay, so, so uh, okay, I think we'll that's a little bit of high form for a for a calculated pick, but I think that's a very good possibility, though. Okay, Especially, so should I make a different bold prediction then? Oh no, I will let you keep that. One. I'll permit it this time. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, all right, moving on past the draft. Let's recap. Uh, was an interesting season in the NBA. Uh, we briefly talked about the NBA Finals, but you know, what were some of the things that surprised you during this season? Probably the biggest surprise. I know this isn't unique or anything, but just uh, sh- not much. I almost said Shaka Smart. I don't know why. Um, Mo Chase getting fired halfway through the season. That was probably the biggest surprise to me, especially without a uh, new gentleman. Uh, it's not a new coach in mind. And uh, probably the biggest, going along with people getting let go in Detroit, uh, the Joe Dumars not having his contract renewed, that was probably the most predicted thing, I'd say. But I actually yeah. did think at the beginning of the season that the Pistons would be in the playoffs in the eighth seed. I thought that was a possibility. No, I think most people thought that was a possibility. I remember uh, writing pieces for MSU, uh, or impact89fm.org backslash sports, and, uh, you know, saying the Pistons are expecting to make the playoffs, it's playoffs are bust, and, you know, they busted, and their coach and GM were fired because of it. I think the most surprising part of this season was the Toronto Raptors, who, you know, haven't been in playoff contention at all the last couple, several years. They traded Rudy Gay relatively early in the season, and after they did that, they were one of the best teams in the league. They ended up being the three seed in the Eastern Conference. They didn't do as well in the playoffs as they thought that they were going to, but they had a tough matchup against the hot Brooklyn Nets, who finally turned it around under Jason Kidd. But, you know, to be the three seed in the East, if you ask most people, I don't think anyone would have guessed Toronto unless you really, really yeah. follow the game of basketball. So Especially the clue I think, they have. 
Honestly, yeah, exactly. If we just think about them, like who they have. I think Tyler Hansborough, and honestly, the last time he had a huge impact was college. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan had good years for them, but definitely no marquee names on the Toronto Raptors, so I think that was definitely the biggest surprise of the NBA season. What were some of the bright spots for you? The bright spots? Seeing Andre Drummond play defense and just block people, like the way he would fight on defense sometimes, that was a bright spot because that just kind of showed me Detroit has a chance of going back to like Dennis Rodman style. Just fight, fight, fight for the rebounds, for the blocks. Um, other bright spots, I enjoyed seeing Indiana play well. I I was actually really disappointed by their collapse in the playoffs uh, from time to time. Just show how Castleman of Sand will crumble into the sea, I guess. But um, just other bright spots. I know it's a little bit biased of me, but I just feel like Miami's had enough. So seeing mm-hmm. Tim Duncan and the Spurs come back and just do what they did, that was a huge bright spot for me. That made me really happy. Yeah, that was that was definitely going to be one of my bright spots to finally see the Miami Heat's reign of terror somewhat come to an end. But yeah, Drummond, watching him, you know, it gives you at least a little bit of faith in the Pistons' future. Another bright spot for me was seeing, you know, the NBA community come together after the whole Donald Sterling incident early in the playoffs. It really showed that there's more to life than just basketball and that, you know, people can you know, move mm-hmm. past something that obviously was not the appropriate thing to say and you know show that they're stronger willed than others. So that was definitely exactly. one of the bright spots for me. I'm really happy that they actually took action because honestly I when this first broke I just kind of thought, okay, me at a firestorm and then oh they'll like give him a slap on the wrist and blah blah blah. But no that's not what happened. They actually followed through and that's just surprising to me and Gives me faith. Yeah, so I, I, there's definitely some uh, things that the NBA can look forward to in the future. Uh, and finally, uh, how were the playoffs for you? I thought that you know there were some definitely interesting moments. I love seeing the Spurs beat the Heat in the finals. They played some of the best basketball I've seen in a long time. But you know, would you rather have something like that or, you know, last year's NBA finals were were great. Uh, you know, the constant back and forth in game six, Ray Allen making that crazy three point shot to tie the game and the Spurs would eventually lose. What what do you think is better for the league? See, for the league total, I think the seven game series is better for the league. More games, more money, more money, more publicity, or more publicity, more money. That's what it's about in the end of the day. It's a business. But something I personally like watching, though, is I think if it's going to be a battle of titans, I just want it to be a whooping. Honestly, like a good old-fashioned whooping. I would have loved to see, like I said, in the first round, I honestly thought Atlanta was going to have it against Indiana. And that's something I would have loved to see them make a run. But that didn't happen. And what do you think is better for the league? Uh, you know, I, I, I think you kind of nailed it right on the head. When the NBA wants longer series because it's more money, more ticket revenues, all that jazz. But, you know, the blowouts are exciting. I think especially when you have someone like the Heat. And, you know, people love to hate LeBron James. When he came out of game one with those with the cramps and, you know, Twitter the <laughs> next that night and the next day was, you know, Jordan never would have came out with cramps and uh, Kobe never would have come out with cramps. And, you know, as 
LeBron is one of the greatest players the game of basketball has ever seen. He probably takes more crap than he should. Yeah, but, that is true. You know, people love seeing the the Heat struggle, for the, except for people in Miami and, mm-hmm. of course, the bandwagon fans. But, you know, I think people loved watching the Spurs just wallop on the Heat. So I think both of them have their benefits. Now, the big three in Miami, LeBron James, Chris Bosh, and Dwayne Wade, changed the NBA completely. Now it seems like in order to compete for a championship, you have to have several stars on your team. And if you are a star on a team that's not competitive, you now can ask to be traded, and you will be traded because you know, teams realize they're not going to resign, and you can't really take the time to rebuild and draft. Mm-hmm. So those three players now have the option to uh, opt out of their contracts with Miami and potentially go to a new team. Um, you know, I want to just address this real quick because of the impact that they have had on the NBA. Do you think the big three is coming to an end, and are they better off going their separate ways? I I most definitely do. Actually, just bringing the big three back, it's interesting that people nowadays just, it's interesting to me that when they see big three, they think Miami Heat. So I remember a few years ago, the big three was Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Mm -hmm. and Boston, and they went their separate ways too, and uh, ended up helping the Heat a little bit, but I do think they're going their separate ways. There's talks about switching uh, Bosch with Anthony, that's a possibility I've heard rumblings about, but honestly, I don't. I do think that their time together in Miami is finished. Whether or not they're going to win another championship separated, that's debatable, but I just do feel like they had their time and it's done. You just got to know when to move on. Do you think LeBron will be back, the biggest piece out of that three? I do, honestly. I don't see him going back to Cleveland or anywhere else. Just, I don't... Honestly, it's South Beach. Aside from the basketball and the team aspect of it, it's South Beach. Who else has anything that good to offer to him? Especially with the yeah, amount no, of money no, that I mean, to pay him. Yeah, and, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to South Beach, but it's I, who wouldn't want to live there? It's unbelievably nice. And, you know, if I were Miami, this, this is, I guess, tough to say considering I'm not a Miami fan or part of that organization, but Dwayne Wade, to me, would be the weak link out of those three. I would want nothing to do with him if I were Miami, considering how bad his knees have been. And it seems as if LeBron and Wade haven't really meshed as well lately as they did early on. Uh, So, you know, and it's interesting. You make it to back, you make it to four championships in a row. You win two of them. They were about as successful as anyone could have imagined. And, you know, they win, they lose their latest championship, and all of a sudden, people are saying it needs to end, it needs to end. I don't think there's a doubt in my mind that if that same roster came back this or this upcoming season with a few tweaks that they made in free agency, that they would be the favorites to make it back to the final. See, I just understand which, where you're coming from, and I do agree it's a little bit rash, even myself included. But at the same time, I just don't see them as the same type of team players that would be patient enough to stick around and think, oh, we'll do it again. I kind of feel like there's that sense of win now or that sense of desperation. Whereas in San Antonio, yeah, they were a basketball dynasty, but then they didn't win for a few years straight. They're still together playing hard. 
and they eventually came back and got that other and got that extra ring. And I don't see Miami as having that same patience to stick around for the long for the longest time to fight through the next few years, then come back and redeem themselves. Well, I think part of that falls on the pressure that the media puts on them. I mean, I LeBron James is the best player in the NBA right now. He will always give whatever team he is on a chance to make it far in the NBA playoffs. You could put him uh, the worst team in the NBA right now, and their odds to win a championship increase drastically. So to say that things really need to change is, in my opinion, has been way overplayed by the media. Um, that's not to say something shouldn't change. If I were them, like I said, I would kind of hope Dwayne Wade doesn't come back and I would focus more on Bosch and LeBron and maybe going out and getting another third piece like a center to, you know, kind of boost their size against someone like Indiana. But, you know, I don't think things are nearly as big, uh, as big in trouble, as in big of trouble as, uh, you know, media sources like ESPN tend to think. Now, uh, in free agency, Greg Monroe is going to be a restricted free agent this summer. And according to At My Sports Legion on Twitter, the Pistons have discussed a sign-in trade with the Pelicans of Greg Monroe for Ryan Anderson. Anderson, uh, for those of you who don't know, is a really good three-point shooter and has spent time in Orlando with Stan Van Gundy. He has had some injury problems in the past, uh, but the past three seasons, he's really emerged as one of the best uh, power forward, kind of stretch power forwards in the league, and he's averaged more than 16 points per game in those three seasons, where he shot over 40% from beyond the arc. Do you think that's fair value for Monroe? Is that something you think the Pistons should be interested in, or should the Pistons just match whatever offer Monroe gets? See, I don't if Monroe gets the big enough offer, I really do think they should just take Ryan Anderson. Because if you look at Van Gundy's moves since he's been in Detroit, his whole, most of what he's done has been surrounding himself with like-minded thinkers or people he worked with in Orlando. Uh, most the assistant coaches he recently hired worked with him in Orlando. And I do think he likes that familiarity. He likes to be comfortable. Um, that's why he mentioned, uh, that's why he liked Jeff Bauer, because he feels like his story is similar to his own, working his way up in the basketball world and he values that so i feel like ryan anderson if they got along in orlando van gundy kind of wants him in detroit just a little bit well i think from a talent level monroe has monroe has shown more throughout his career so you could argue that you know only getting anderson for him could be a little bit low in value but you know anderson's contract will be more team friendly than a max deal that monroe is probably going to get uh, to say that you would just let Monroe walk to a team that signs him, I think, is a bit foolish because he definitely has more value to this team than just giving him away for nothing. So, uh, you know, if you think a Max deals too much for him, and Anderson is a better fit for Van Gundy's system, but, you know, kind of tangenting uh, off that, uh, Van Gundy has pointed out that Josh Smith, Monroe, and Drummond can't work together on the court at the same time. So he's going to be smart enough to realize that two of the three can be out there, but one of them needs to be on the bench. So I think, you know, Van Gundy could find a way to make those three work, but I think he would have an easier time 
with Anderson than Monroe. Exactly. And Anderson's uh his shooting percentage is getting up there or is it's not perfect, but his field goal percentage uh, last year was uh point four three eight as opposed to the four point two three the season before. And he's only had one season with a better shooting percentage. Uh he's coming off his highest three point pursuit percentage shooting uh mm-hmm. season. So I feel like he's I feel like his career is on its way up. Greg Monroe is on his career up too. But I feel like since like you said, only two of the three men can be on the floor at the same time and I feel like Ryan Anderson's a lot more benchable than Josh Smith is, just because of Josh Smith. Like I'm an all-star mentality, mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, and you know, kind of talking more about just Monroe in particular. In February, a report came out, uh, according to David Aldridge, that the Pistons would match any offer Monroe got, whether that was a max contract or not. Now, obviously. Van Gundy wasn't hired at that time, but it was already known at that point that Dumars would not be back. And there have been mixed reports since Van Gundy got hired about his thoughts on uh, Monroe and his value to the team, but he's come out public- publicly and said he wants Monroe back. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's being truthful? Is a max deal smart for someone like Greg Monroe? See, Van Gundy, I truly do believe Van Gundy wants Monroe back, though, just because if uh, you follow the press conferences, he's been hinting at basing the team around a Monroe-Drummond combo. But at the same time, Van Gundy has that mentality that no one's holding on this team, everyone's expendable, I'm here to win, not just save the prettiest star. So if Monroe, I understand uh, Dumars never gave out a mass contract and... So maybe this is going along with the whole, oh, Joe Dumars is gone. We can pay people more money now. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I feel like there's better offers we could do. Or there's better people. There's people more deserving of a mass contract than Greg Monroe. You also got to think about the future, too, and what's coming up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, let's assume that the Pistons do uh, bring back Monroe on a max deal. They, uh, if that happens, they are expected to have $13 million left to spend in free agency. What should they use that money on? I, I honestly, such a toss-up right now with all the available free agents. I feel like they should spend... Not, not even necessarily a player, but, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like three-point shooting, I think, is something they should throw a couple million at. You need, a, uh, you know, someone, I think, starting at the three rather than Kyle Singler. We're starting at the two rather than Kyle Singler, who spent time at both positions this year. I feel like they need someone to com- compliment uh, Brandon Jennings a little bit more. Or even if mm-hmm. they could, some, take that three, $13 million and as well shop Brandon Jennings for something better. I feel yeah, like uh, be. two, two names to keep in mind that I'll throw out there really quick. One will be Anthony Morrow, who uh, is planning on opting out of his contract with the New Orleans Pelicans. Really good three-point shooter that could come in for a nice role for Detroit off the bench. Another one is Jameer Nelson, who uh, I believe has an option year with the Orlando Magic, a team option that Orlando could definitely choose to decline. Uh, Nelson spent a lot of time with Stan Van Gundy during uh, Van Gundy's time in Orlando and could be a really good complement to Jennings uh, as the point guard of this team. So I would definitely keep an eye out for those two guys. as free, free agency approaches which will start July 1st, so we'll have a lot more to cover um, as that gets a little bit closer and as free agency uh, moves on. Now, 
recently in the past couple weeks, two head coaches were hired, Derek Fisher and David Blatt. Fisher, um, well, both of these will be first-time head coaches in the NBA. Fisher will be a first-time head coach at all. He's never had coaching experience. Blatt has had head coaching experience overseas, uh, in particular with Maccabi Tel Aviv. How do you think these two moves will pan out? Which one will be better? I think Derek Fisher will be better just because he has the experience, he has the rings, and I feel like that's definitely something that's going to help out in the head coaching world. Well, I mean, he has experience as a player, but we all we saw what Jason Kidd did. He really struggled out of the gate. Now, part of that could have been because he had so many strong personalities on his team, like Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. And I'm not downplaying Fisher's, uh, you know, ability as a coach. I think he has the chance to be a great coach. But Blatt has had a lot more head coaching experience. He's had a lot of head coaching success. I think the main question with him is, will his coaching style translate to the NBA? But he did win a bronze medal in the uh, the latest Olympics. So I think he knows what it takes to coach against NBA talent. This was more of a wild card. And, you know, he was hired by the Knicks and by Phil Jackson. He was not the Knicks' original target. Uh, you know, Steve Kerr was. I found it really interesting throughout the Knicks' head coaching process about some of the names that they were targeting. They were looking at a lot of form or a lot of players with no head coaching experience to coach a team that's under a lot of media pressure. And you know, it seemed like Phil Jackson, you know, struggled to kind of get the big names and didn't really get the guy that he wanted. I thought that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. I think part of that's just because there's been tension between Phil Jackson and the organization. And also, when, you, when you're working for a coach that's have, that has Phil Jackson's resume, I feel like that's going to actually like maybe even intimidate a bunch of big names like Steve Kerr, you said earlier. So I feel like uh, Derek Fisher, I almost said Mello for a second. I feel like Derek Fisher, while he may have a harder time controlling the personalities on play on his team like Jason Kidd did in Brooklyn, I feel like with uh, Phil Jackson behind him, I feel like he's just going to have at least somewhat of a successful season. And, you know, with Phil Jackson coming up, I'll ask you this. Neither him nor Stan Van Gundy had experience in the front office up until this season. Jackson reportedly helped out a little bit with the Pistons' head coaching search last year. A lot of fans thought he could have been a candidate before he was hired with the Knicks to replace Joe Dumas. Now that it's all said and done, the Pistons have their guy, the Knicks have their guy, are you happy with the Pistons' choice to get Stan Van Gundy? And, you know, who do you think is ultimately more successful? Oh, I would say Phil Jackson in the end. Maybe not this season particularly because Phil Jackson has a lot to do in New York before, obviously, that team's championship ready. But just because of the personalities at play. But as far as long-term success, I still got to say Phil Jackson but he's because he's been tried and true. Meanwhile, Stan Van's had trouble not – He's had trouble in the past with uh, competing with players in his organization and with the city itself. And I feel like a city like Detroit, while it can be harsh playing here just because we've had we've been losing for so long, I feel like at the same time, the fans are going to appreciate someone with Van Gundy's experience and not going to question him as much as they would uh, in a different city. 
So I feel like you would t- you would take the combination of Jackson and Fisher over Van Gundy. For the long term, yes, I'll be honest. But I feel like at the same time, this season particularly, I feel like Van Gundy is the man to he's in the right spot for Detroit. And I feel like Detroit's gonna have more success than the Knicks. You know, I really have liked the things that I've heard out of Van Gundy and albeit it's been a press conference and I haven't heard a lot out of Phil Jackson, but I briefly watched Derek Fisher's press conference as introducing him as that coach and Jackson was present. And it almost seems, you know, like Jackson is kind of out of it. It's not it's almost as if he's not, you know, fully attentive. Now, obviously I'm unaware of the situation to its fullest extent. But Van Gundy's been really descriptive in what he wants to do. He seems like, according to Gores and, you know, his whole interview process, he has a plan. You know, Jackson's doing this at a later stage in his career, and I think Jackson has a lot less to prove than Van Gundy does because of all the championships that he's won. So I think Van Gundy, because of his you know, desire and a lot more pressure to do well, I think he'll end up being the better fit for Detroit than what Jackson would have been. See, I can agree with you there just because, like I said, I think Detroit's going to be a much more appreciative of Van Gundy. Uh, he has had his plan executed out. Meanwhile, uh, and he has pretty much free reign over what he do, does. It's his team, really. Gore signs the checks. It's Van Gundy's team as of right now. And meanwhile, Phil Jackson's still, like, management, Phil Jackson is still in competition with management trying to decide what should happen, uh, what he gets to do. And management's reluctant to get rid of people Phil Jackson wants to get rid of, etc. And I feel like that's definitely going to hurt his plan, and that may be why he feels a little bit out of it. But I feel like he's going to work out eventually, and maybe not this season, but in the future. All right, well, we're coming to an end here on the latest edition of Horsepower, this is Impact 89, uh, Impact Sports. I'm Cameron Billis with Colin Jackson. Uh, you know, as we talked about, we just had a rematch uh, of the NBA Finals. Now I ask you, who's more likely to make it back to the Finals next season, the Spurs or the Heat? See, that's the thing. I'm, I'm scared for the Spurs right now just because I feel like they're going to have that sense of completion. Like, the fact that, oh, we came back, we did it, yay. And that's that sense of fulfillment. And I think that's dangerous when it comes back to getting back to the playoffs because you're not as hungry. Meanwhile, I think the Heat do, just because I feel like they're going to have the hunger, especially if they do bring back all three men again. They're just going to be that much hungrier to reprove themselves. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. The Heat have the question of, are the big three back? The Spurs have the question of, is Popovich back? Is Duncan back? And is Ginobili back, or are they going to retire together? Is one of them going to retire, or two of them going to retire? Like you said, are they going to be complacent with winning another NBA championship and kind of, you know, not go through next season with the same desire that they had this season? As a lot of them said that losing in the NBA championship the year before really drove them to be the best team that they could be this year. So, uh... You know, I, I'll agree with you. I think the Heat will bring LeBron back, and because of that, I think they have a better chance of making it to the finals next season. 
Uh, now, who is the most likely team to knock out the two uh, finals representatives, both in the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference? I'm going ahead and say LA Clippers. Just because so the- I liked their season this last year. Before all the Donald Sterling controversy broke, I just feel... you. I think you mentioned, too, in an earlier podcast episode of Horsepower, uh, you thought they were actually going to come out the West, I believe. Correct me if mm-hmm. I'm wrong. But I just feel like they're going to come back again next year, a stronger team, even because they've gone through the emotional stress together and on the court together. Yeah, so you have the Clippers beating the Spurs in the West. Who do you think uh, takes out the Heat in the East? Taking out the Heat. I'm going to go ahead and say the Charlotte Hornets. It's the time. That's my bold prediction for the next year's playoffs. That's real bold. Okay. Right? They got swept this year. Um, they've, they never won a series, a playoff series as the Bobcats. New name, same city, same fans. Let's go. All right. Well, for me, uh, I think you nailed on the head in the Western Conference. I think the Clippers bringing CP3 back and getting Griffin uh, more time together, I think that is definitely uh, a good chance of beating the Spurs. They definitely have a shot. I would definitely keep an eye on where Kevin Love goes because I think without a doubt he's going to get traded. It's just a question of where. Uh, you know, there have been talks about him going to the Golden State Warriors and him and Steph Curry together would just be scary. Mm-hmm. So I'll stick with the Clippers taking down the Spurs in the West if any team's going to do it. And in the East, uh, yeah, I, I think it's got to be the Pacers, doesn't it? There doesn't really seem to be a team that has the talent level of nearly where the Heat or the Pacers are at. If any team would surprise me, like you said, that just comes out of nowhere and does something crazy, this might sound just completely shocking, but I would say the Pistons. Mm-hmm. I really like Drummond, uh, you know, the Pistons have size. They have the size that could definitely take Miami down. Obviously, they need some work to do. I'm by no means saying at the moment they'd beat the Heat in a seven-game series, but if I'm going out on a limb and picking some crazy team to beat the Heat in a seven-game series by pure luck, one versus eight next year, uh, I'd go with the Pistons. And finally, we'll end uh, the podcast with uh, going over some of the hottest rumors around the league. It's the off season. That's what the off season's all about. Mm-hmm. As I just mentioned, Kevin Miles on the block. Uh, I'll ask you. Uh, uh, excuse me. I'll mention the rumor that he's uh, been involved in lately, and you'll tell me if you're a believer or non-believer. So, Kevin Love to the Warriors in the three-way trade with the T Wolves and the Lakers, and the Warriors with Clay Thompson headed to the Lakers. Are you a believer? Or a non-believer? I'm going to go ahead and say non-believer. I feel like it's going to take a lot more than that just for the Lakers to get back together, to get it back to where they were at least. So I'm going to say no. All right. The Rockets are putting together a plan to get LeBron James. Are you a believer or a non-believer? You know what? I'm going to say believer. The Rockets are looking for some personnel changes. They're looking to... uh, um, get rid of Jeremy Lin or shop him around. LeBron is definitely, I could see him as a target for the Rockets. Whether or not he'll go there or not, that's another issue, but I definitely see him as a target. Could you see him, Harden, and Howard working well together? Because, 
you know, both LeBron and Harden love having the ball in their hand as they go up the court. See, that's the other thing. Like, I feel like it's going to be something they're going to have to learn to do. Maybe a slow start at the beginning of the season, but I feel like LeBron, as you say, he's the best player in the NBA right now. And being part of the best player means being the best teammate. And if they, I know LeBron should have the day, should have the ball over uh, Harden any day. But if that's what it takes to make his teammates look good and win a game, I feel like LeBron will pass the ball. All right, we got two more here. Miami could try to get Melo to join the big three. Are you a believer or a non-believer? Complete non-believer. Melo is poison in the locker room, and Miami does not need that right now. Melo, honestly, he's a great player, but I feel like he's a little too selfish for Miami. And you can't have the big four. That's just that's not that's too many big personalities in Miami. I feel like they have the support staff they need in place, and I feel like it's just a failure to execute 100 percent of the time. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you 100 percent. First of all, if the big three come back and you add Melo, who shoots the ball? You only are going to have three players scoring points with Bosch getting rebounds to tip in. And also, if you're going to spend money to get an, another superstar, why don't you spend the money to get a center and get some size to compete with the Pacers? They don't need another stretch for That's right. We saw how the Greg Oden experiment turned out. Yeah, so yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me. And finally, the Lakers trade Steve Nash and the number 7 overall pick to the Philadelphia 76ers in exchange for Michael Carter-Williams and Thaddeus Young. Are you a believer or a non-believer? I think that's something the Lakers would do, but I just don't think it's smart, honestly. The Lakers need more youth on their team. Steve Nash is getting up there in age. But at the same time, the Lakers need someone with the experience that Steve Nash has. So I feel like they shouldn't get rid of him just yet. I feel like they should keep him even if he's just riding the bench. All right, well, this is Horsepower. I'm your host, Cameron Billis, with Colin Jackson. You're listening to Impact Sports. Uh, for all the latest MSU sports news and Detroit sports news, make sure to check out our website at impact89fm.org backslash sports. Uh, you know, the draft's coming up. All your Pistons in info will be there. Uh, this has been the Horsepower for Cameron Billis and Colin Jackson. Thanks for listening. Thank you.